0: My name is Shepard, and this is my favorite podcast.
1: Welcome to the Forthright Gaming Podcast, gaming content made by gamers for gamers, I'm your host, Ian. Uh, you can find us at forthrightgaming.com or listener podcasts anywhere podcasts are found, like on Apple or uh, Podbeam, Google, Alexa. We're just on everything. Uh, I'm your host, Ian, and today with me, as always, is David. And today we are going to be talking about some more Mass Effect stuff, but we're going to be specifically talking about the Mass Effect indoctrination theory. Now, if you're new to the franchise, you may not have heard about this. Um, fans like us who've played this since launch There was a time where YouTube was full of nothing But everybody talking about indoctrination theory There's video after video of it, video of it um, But this is something that uh, is a pretty big th- theory amongst fans And Bioware has made a, a specific choice not to deny it And not to confirm it So it's uh, up for lots of discussions for everybody
0: yeah, and first off, it's also worth pointing out that we're going to go into some stuff across all three games, um, primarily in the latter two, um, and it's worth pointing out that the lead writer of Mass Effect 1 and 2, Drew Carpition. Karp- I apologize if I'm pronouncing that incorrectly, he actually left before Mass Effect 2 was completed, and then Mac Walters took over from there. So, it's well known that he stated himself his ending was planned on being different from what we got in the end and there's some writers that have said and laid their claim as to what the ending truly is. But what we were going to discuss here is our thoughts behind why the game actually supports indoctrination theory and how it differs from the traditional thinking you see around the internet. Now, before we delve further, it's worth noting that there are many theories floating out on the internet as to what the truth is behind indoctrination theory. We're going to focus on our version of what we think it is as opposed to the idea that mass effect three even is entirely indoctrination theory, right? You've seen those conversations out there and I don't really agree with that. Um,
1: yeah. And th- that's why there's the big argument here, which is indoctrination theory. Cause people who believe it, uh, well, at least some versions of it is basically saying that everything that happens in the third game happens in your head and doesn't really happen at all. Um, uh, and then there's, A few other different ideas of like how what's going on that maybe that just the end of Mass Effect 3 is completely inside in your head and doesn't isn't real. I don't like to believe the concept that I played a whole (laughs) game that and it didn't matter. That seems really ridiculous to me. Um, but we'll jump into all that here, uh, shortly. But again, we are going to be referencing things from all three games. So, like I said, this is a podcast definitely for those of you who are fans who have played all three games and have deep dived into like every side mission. Of the game cuz we're going to be talking about even the sm- the smallest uh mentions that the game has to indoctrination.
0: Yeah, and there's a lot to cover. So we're just going to go over some like some main points and some even some small points, but don't want to get too lost in this cuz really you can you can go to the nth degree on this and really for us I would say the beginning of it, which I think you had a good point on this and I thought about it more and I think you're right, is if this is supported by the game, the beginning of indoctrination really starts in Mass Effect 2. In Mass Effect 1, you're not really near anything Reaper-oriented that could indoctrinate Shepard. But in Mass Effect 2, you have to have uh, the DLC, the arrival. Unfortunately, you have to play the DLC to have played it on the o- the older iterations or Legendary Edition, which automatically comes with it, where, you know, as you recall, Shepard gets near this broadcast of this Reaper artifact, which leads to Dr. Kenson subcoming to indoctrination I know you mentioned you recently played Legendary Edition and gone through some of this, and you had some thoughts on the beginning of Indoctrination. For example, the explosion that knocks you out and Shepard exclaiming his concern about the scientists simply having the Reaper artifact near them.
1: Yeah, because as you play through the games, from what basically Indoctrination is is that the Reapers, who are the main villain, they have this ability that with when you're in proximity to them or in, or on them or what, or inside them, because uh, they're big, giant spaceships, uh, they convince you through mental manipulation to uh, join their side, and you don't get a lot of information about indoctrination until later on in the game. You just get little hints and hints of of it um, through uh, through things. Obviously, Saren was indoctrinated in the first game and whatnot, um, but the second game where the theory starts about Shepard himself, or him or herself actually being indoctrinated, doesn't really start to like you said the rival and the artifact row uh, way fight. Because uh, at that point we know that hey, when anybody's uh, inside a Reaper or uh, near Reaper, the indoctrination theory can take a- and start taking effect. They'll uh, and basically turns them into becoming allies of the Reapers and helping them destroy the galaxy. Right. So with the rival, basically, our idea is that this is has the only spot where it could happen because throughout the entire game even though uh, Shepard in the second game is on a Reaper derelict ship for a little bit, that ship is, is basically in, almost in stasis mode and is taking a lot longer to indoctrinate people uh, from the video files that you find there. So you can't really say Shepard was on there long enough for anything to take effect for him because it's literally like maybe 15, 20 minutes that you're there and then you're gone. But with the rival when you show up to this facility and they and they show you oh yeah here's this reaper artifact that we found that tells us the reaper is going to be here in two days you find out it's just sitting out in the open like in a courtyard like a piece of art (laughs) and Shepard's like oh freaks out about that um but what happens is in that fight you have to fight off uh the indoctrinated uh, soldiers that start coming after you uh and what they end up doing is either you die in that fight and you wake up uh, two days later, basically, with like an hour or two hours left before the Reapers show up in the med bay, Or you fight all the way through it. You survive all the waves. And each wave, the artifact keeps uh, emanating a pulse. And on the fifth wave, that pulse knocks you out. So whether you get shot and die and kind of like get knocked out by the fight and you wake up uh, there, or you're knocked out by the artifact, you're taking on a ton of Reaper energy that nobody knows anything about all at once. And then you're knocked out for two days. So technically two days, your guards down and you, it could basically indoctrinate you then that, or at least start trying to.
0: And that makes sense to me. Cause I, I know one line of thought is, Oh, well the beginning of two, that's when you're indoctrinated. And that's why you theoretically die and come back. But this doesn't make sense, especially if you take three into account, but even if you take it as is, I mean, how, you're I meaning you, like by that point, You're not really shown how he's indoctrinated if that is the beginning of his indoctrination. Like, because you're just basically, well, he died and then he was indoctrinated. Or, like, how does this work? It's not, it's incomplete from a narrative perspective. But if you look at it with the arrival, it does make sense. And you could also take into account that you've, yes, you've kind of been near a Reaper because you've had battles with Reapers. But why didn't anyone else in your ship, for example, get indoctrinated? So I would actually say that this artifact makes sense as being the start of it, um, you know, because it, it's like you said, there's an explosion, he's out. Who's to say the explosion doesn't emit a strong last broadcast that can indoctrinate you even slightly, right? Just to kind of like, you know, plant the seed that can grow within your mind. Um, I mean, I, you know, kind of also on that same note, you mentioned something about a mission where guys are talking about how they they have a wife and she has the same name
1: um yeah so what that goes to what i was mentioning about uh, in mass effect 2 and like let let, before i get into that let me just explain like what how our theory of indoctrination theory is different than everyone else's as i said everyone else's theory is that you're indoctrinated and either the end of mass effect 3 or all of mass effect 3 is basically in your head and you and the reaper is one and they just make you think you're going to defeat them in your head some silly bullshit like that (laughs) um our theory, or at least my theory, is that the Reapers are trying to indoctrinate Shepard, and they can't um, for a few reasons. And uh, I will—I use this term kind of lightly, but it kind of makes sense from uh, the other stuff I'll cite, is that uh, I believe Shepard is an evolutionary step up amongst all the other humans and beings in the universe, uh, just slightly enough that he is an, he's able to actually resist indoctrination uh, completely. Uh, completely, so it has no effect on him, and hence the reason it fails, and then he saves the universe at the end of the game. So what I was talking about, as far as uh, in all three games, they mentioned stuff about indoctrination, right? You first learn about about it with Saren, then you get some more, because uh, Saren gets indoctrinated and he tells you that he lets Saren, uh, lets uh, Sovereign f- put more electronics in him, which is like, dude, yeah. you're just making it worse, what are you doing? Um, And You learn that, okay, the Reapers have some type of control over people and they they basically switch sides. And two, you get a little bit more information on it, uh, mainly from one of the main story missions, which is the Derelict Reaper, where there's a Reaper that was shot by some huge mass accelerated weapon that can scar a planet and it's floating uh, in orbit kind of dead. But you know it's not fully dead because it has its mass effect shields up uh, so it doesn't get destroyed by the storm on the planet or get pulled down. Um, but it's not alive enough to repair itself, move, or do anything. Cerberus finds this, uh, re- finds Reaper, and you have to go there to get the IFF for the Omega-4 relay. Uh, when you go there, uh, you'll find video logs, and there's two guys talking about uh, their wives, and then one guy says, hey, wait, that's my wife. What are you doing? Like, or that was my dream I had. <laughs> Like, they start having the same dreams. And, like, what that is is that this is a dead reaper who that is barely alive that's trying to indoctrinate folks, but it's taking longer to do it. Uh, and it's kind of... It's not as strong. So it's evading their dreams, f- messing with their minds, giving them migraines and headaches to try and turn them. Basically, those scientists are, like, what you consider to be the husk that are there on uh, on that ship instead of being fully indoctrinated and able to try and repair it or whatnot. Uh that's where you first hear kind of a method of it. Right? And then when you hear that it makes you remember what the Queen Rachnite said in the first game, which was, Oh yeah, uh the Reaper's song is like dark and muddy and it's and it invades us and we don't like the sound of it, but it convinces pe it convinced our race to go to war. Uh that's part of them describing indoctrination. But the reason why it gets overlooked is because the rachni describe communication very differently than any other species. Because they see uh, your voice, your sound, they hear, see sound like as colors, how they describe it. And so it kind of gets wishy-washy there as far as the connection, but then it gets more solid when you get to Mass Effect 3. Um, so by the end of two we know kind of how indoctrination is working and how it's trying to how it affects humans by mass effect three what basically has happened there right Shepard was out for almost two days uh, kind of trying to be indoctrinated but he was unconscious so there was no active brainwave on his part like no dreams to interact with at the time <clears throat> he wakes up saves the day destroys the, the mass relay in that system Stops reapers from showing up. Goes to jail. uh until Mass Effect three opens up, right? Uh, reapers show up. Uh, the threat's real again. They're near. They're nearby again. And at the end of the fir- of the first intro act is basically this dream sequence where Shepard is in this forest chasing the kid that he saw get killed. But um, as you play through three, in between all the acts, are these dream sequences. As the dream sequences go on, more details are kind of added to them. I think after the first one, there's these oil, oily looking shadows. And oily shadows is how the Ragnar described the Reapers. Um, so people connect that to, hey, look, that's indoctrination. And I think what's happening here is that because Shepard was knocked out for two days uh, and then uh, left the influence of the artifact, went on about his business. Uh, the Reaper indoctrination th- effect is trying to take hold, but it's doing it very slowly because he's not in direct contact, but he's had enough of an impact that it's like there in the back of his head. Uh, so that's why he has those dream sequences, which are kind of like the breaks between the acts of mass effect three. Now, the other thing with, uh, this theory and why I also think it's like evolution things, because all throughout mass effect one, uh, Liara has lines that she says, "Wow, you must have a very strong mind to be able to handle the beacon, right?" Uh, because we know we know Saren could understand what was going on or could handle it because he's already indoctrinated by Reaper when he used the Eden Prime beacon. The only other person that we know has used it and kind of understood it was the crazy guy Manuel that you meet as like one of the first first NPCs that you see in the very beginning of Mass Effect One. And it's interesting that he's she, his, assi- or the assistant to him basically describes him as he's a genius and the si- the uh genius and madness are the same, s- are sides of the same coin, right? Saying like, he's a little bit crazy, but he's a genius. So he's stable enough, at least before you met him, that the Alliance put him on a top secret priority one mission, right? Like, this is a Prothean beacon. They're not going to put an unstable person on that mission, regardless of how smart they are, right? They're going to put their best of the best. This guy's a little wonky. I think by the time you meet him, it's obvious he's already seen the beacon because he describes to you exactly what's in it, right? Man. He says, our masters are coming. Is it? Am I mad to know that the end's here and the masters are coming and they're going to destroy us? He already knows what's ha- going to happen. Uh, and yet at the time, because at the of the game, you just think he's being crazy. So that's why some people punch him out. Other <laughs> people just leave him alone. Um, but that's somebody whose mind is different than everybody else's, right? He's either maybe he's autistic, maybe he's ha- uh, he has some mental disability, who knows. He's understood what's happening, he knows what's going to happen, and it's kind of also broke him a little bit as well, because immediately he's like, oh, there's nothing we can do. But people wave him off as just being crazy. And with that and how Aliyar keeps saying, wow, there's, I can't believe you took the beacon without any knowledge prior and didn't crack, right? So there's something special specifically about Shepard. That's like your first hint of it. Um, and then obviously in two, Cerberus makes you even more because they've added more stuff to you when they rebuilt your body and whatnot and brought you back from the dead. So that's kind of building up and like the little hints that you get that at the end of, th- by the time you finish the game, you have to go back and think about those things to understand like, oh, wait, these are hints to the indoctrination stuff that is happening. Now, when it comes to Mass Effect three, one of the reasons why I think the the widely public-viewed indoctrination theory is bullshit <laughs> is because there's actually a line of dialogue in the main storyline that proves that it's bullshit, um, which I think everybody seems to forget about for some reason when it comes to them explaining their, the theory, right? Because they say that, hey, it's either you're indoctrinated all throughout Mass Effect 3 or towards the end or whatnot. If you believe it's just the end, then... This line doesn't match for that because you people would say he gets indoctrinated after the fact, but to say the whole game is BS doesn't work because there's literally a line on Thessia where uh, you find the Prothean AI in Mass Effect Three to try and find out what the catalyst is, right? And you're having a conversation, and they're talking. You're talking with the AI. It's telling you about the history, about what happened on Thessia, what happened elsewhere, and whatnot. And then it stops what's going on and says, hey, I sense somebody who's indoctrinated is nearby. I'm not going to security (laughs) mode. And Kai Lang shows up right there. She's like, oh, Kai Lange's indoctrinated, so I guess Shepard can't be if the AI was talking to him and can detect indoctrinated people it flat out did not detect Shepard at all. So he's not indoctrinated at that point uh, by any means. That one one scene proves right there for me, like, hey, your indoctrination theory is, is bad because story-wise they're saying he it can be detected by the prothean ai and it didn't detect it in shepherd it immediately detected it in kai lang who was like 50 feet away from it and shepherd's standing right next to it so that make that to me makes sense
0: yeah and kind of going back to the dreams and the oily <laughs> shadows and stuff um well like one thing i when you were mentioning the rack i always remember how the rack queen says um The children don't sing like they basically sing. That's kind of how they communicate. But once they're indoctrinated, they don't sing anymore. Um, That's obviously a clear case of them being indoctrinated because they lose their own voice. Now, when he has the dreams, I've always wondered what the hell was the point of these dreams, right? Because on one hand, yes, he's seeing this boy, which eventually does become the catalyst to some degree, which we'll get into later. But what is the point of these dreams? What is the point of the child? and the only thing i could think of is i think it's testing him right i think it's trying to find a weakness in him you know we already know with previously indoctrinated characters that there's a reasoning behind that which we'll also get into in a moment here but as far as Shepard's, you know concerned i don't think he has those same weaknesses so when it's prodding for a weakness i think it's like it understands that he has this sort of selflessness about him he wants to save the human species and you you mentioned children aren't viewed as being dangerous. Um, and equally so, I think Shepard views a child as something that's helpless and something he would want to save. So you can kind of lead him on this carrot of save the child, right, from these dark shadows, and maybe that'll work. But ultimately, it's, you know, it's, it's his instinct that drives him to save, but that's not that... It, it didn't mean that he was going to fall into the trap so easily. You know, it's just... It doesn't understand. Like, I remember the Catalyst mentions even, you know, does a, is a flame evil or something along those lines because it's simply doing what it does. And yeah. it's, it's trying to lead him along the way. It's doing what it does, but it doesn't understand that he doesn't operate like a flame. Um, that's the only thing I could really think of when it came to those dreams in terms of why he had them, why was he seeing them, what was it trying to achieve and change about him.
1: Yeah, I think with those dreams, like... Because you don't see anything like that in any other games, this is, the dream sequence only happened in three and it's very much tied to him seeing the, the impactful death of that child about to escape on the shuttle and it gets blown up, right? Um, and they definitely drive it home like, hey, you should feel grief feel grief for the fact that that kid died. You should feel sad about it because they're having these sequences where he keeps seeing this kid. Um, at first, I thought it was mainly just the grief stuff, but when uh, people start pointing out, oh, well, the oily shadows, and that's how the I described, I'm like, oh, well, that is there. And I start thinking, like, okay, you can't throw out indoctrination theory completely, all right? Because with the artifact roast uh, sequence, something definitely could have happened to Shepard at that point, right? It makes sense. Now, these dream sequences, um, for, cinematic ver- for cinematic reasons, you definitely have them as act breakers, right? But it's definitely, like you said, like I said, they change as they get, Get further in the game. The first one is just that kid running uh, away from you in the woods. And then it's him running away in the same woods, but now there's oily shadows or there's whispers that you can't make out in the background. Um, all this is happening, uh, as you said, to lead him to a certain concept, a certain path. And it's the concept that Saren brings up in the very first game, because the whole reason why he's saying helping the Reapers is that, hey, if I show that I'm useful, they won't sacrifice me, they'll keep me around. Everybody who's indoctrinated is always using the concept of self-preservation, right? Or they'll mask their self-preservation with, I'll save my species if I can show that we're useful and we're helpful. They'll leave my species alone and we'll be able to survive this. Everything's about, I need to survive, I need to survive. And even Shepard's fight is, in order for us to survive, we need to fight. But that stance is, he's the only one that has it until the third game. Because everyone else either doesn't believe the Reapers exist or the ones that do think the best route for survival is to help them and not to fight them because they're an unfightable force with the size and the number that they are, right? Um, but if you play through the game and I and like believe you agree that I believe that the, the right ending is the red ending, the destroy ending because that's what Shepard throughout the entire game is, like, I gotta destroy the Reapers we gotta stop them, destroy them, destroy them, destroy them there's no reasoning with this
0: you know, I think before we get into this, we should kind of go into all the endings and why I, I, I actually agree that indoctrination theory makes sense here even more. So it's, mm-hmm. it's for, for people who remember the endings or don't, there's basically three real endings, right? Uh, you have the control, you have destroy, and you have synthesis. And control the blue ending, you meet the elusive man, where when you had met the elusive man, he clearly believes he can control the reapers. Clearly, that option didn't work out in terms of a decision. So, in my opinion, controlling the Reapers—that's out. Then you have synthesis.
1: Yeah, I see that as—I see that as, hmm. I see that as the same thing. As synthesis is is where, where the Reapers constantly talk about how they are just uh, AI that was designed to solve a problem, and their solution is this cleansing cycle, right? And they constantly want to say they're above everybody else. They're—they've ascended beyond comprehension, right? And even their creators, the Leviathans, look at it as we've we've ascended beyond your, your species creation because we are looked upon as gods and we can influence you through indoctrination at will. Uh, the one thing I think the blue and the synthesis ending definitely tell is that the Reapers are not different than us. They are almost exactly like us because those are endings where they have uh, hidden their self-preservation instinct behind logic of, Oh, you can control us and Hey, we're not destroyed, but we're being controlled by, by you, you become one of us or the synthesis where you now blend yourself completely with the Reapers and with all AI AI and organic life is all one and one happy family. Right. That again is the Reapers don't destroy us, uh, let us still exist which to me is like, oh, look, this is them bitching out and trying to convince me to save them, uh, f- basically so they can fight another day, in my opinion. That's why <laughs> I've always gone with, like, no, the red decision, fuck you, we're destroying you. There's, the, you, You've had your time, you fucked up, now it's over. Because that's the other thing, is that when you meet the, the catalyst, which is the golden child, thing, that, that, or takes the image of the child that you've been having the dreams about... It says, yeah, this cycle happens over and over again and you're the furthest one to get this far. So they were expecting this to happen and to eventually be at one point the species of the universe would become powerful enough to overcome and defeat them. And at that point, they present you with, well, you could kill us, you can control us, or you could just be, we could all be one happy family. And it sounds to me as like you got the bad guy in the corner, now he's begging for his life.
0: <laughs> yeah, and... You know, kind of going back to like you know synthesis and, and control being the bad endings i mean in my opinion they'd clearly been tried before which meant that's a path that already been explored right sarin like you said he's like go ahead sovereign add more shit to me make me more like you so that's clearly the synthesis right and, and where he goes from being this turian to being more reaper and he synthesizes both kind of melding them in the middle you know control being elusive man, I'm going to try and control this. That didn't work, obviously. And that just leaves us with destroy. But what's funny about destroy, um, and this is probably where I differ a little bit from you as to why destroy works. You, You kind of think it's an evolutionary thing. I don't disagree with that completely, but I keep in mind that he's told that he's going to die. Right, If he destroys it, he's partially synthetic, which means he might die. Ships will break. The Geth will die. Edie will die. All these things will simply cease to exist. Except organic life, right? Um, And it presents it as the guise of, well, I'm here to balance synthetic life versus organic life. If if I'm not here, both will not be balanced. Um, Synthetic life will overrun and overtake organic life. And I'm here to protect that from happening. And when I think about when it comes to storytelling and narratives, I think humans have leaned towards goodness, right? Control is not a good thing, right? Synthesis isn't necessarily a good thing of like, I'm going to take this and be part of it with myself. You know, at some point, goodness has to come from within. And it's kind of like a samurai sort of thing. You have to have control. And this is where I kind of differ. I wouldn't say he has an evolutionary difference, but rather he made the leap that was different. If the dreams were meant to control him, and and this is personal opinion, I don't think most humans make a decision. I think you can kind of influence them, and then they'll make the decision you want them to based essentially on the training you put them through, right? So like if you're hungry, for example, do a short version, you're hungry, you might steal for some food, whereas normally you wouldn't probably do that. At least most people wouldn't, right? Out of the goodness that is within us. So if you take Shepard, you can manipulate him their expectation, the Reaper, is the Reapers, is that he'll follow that path that Saren and Lucif Man is and they'll just kinda kick their heels up and think, We're cool, we still got this, right? Because like you said earlier when we talked offline, Leviathan kind of views itself as godlike. You know, they created what eventually became the Reapers and because they don't have the limitations that we have, you know, humans, they don't really view it the same way. And you could even compare that at a lesser degree with the Asari. They lived for a thousand years. So to them, it's okay to waste 50 years just being an archaeologist on a planet because you still got 950 more years to go do something and Leviathan can use mind control to control you and influence you and I think Shepard was the first person to understand choice and that's why in terms of, even with the game dynamics, it makes sense because you are the only one really making choices. Everybody else is just kind of doing stuff and I get it that it's like from your perspective, right? But For the most part, all the characters always make the same decisions. The only way their outcomes change is if you change the decisions. And that's kind of why I thought this approach of indoctrination theory makes sense. It's like you're kind of going on this path. You have control. But then something stronger or greater than you tries to influence it. And the only way for you to beat it is to overcome it by exercising your choice. Because it's basically telling you, you have two choices, dude. Don't die with this. Don't die with this, or die.
1: <laughs> yeah, and that, thats the thing is that, as you said, those synth- synthesis and uh, control have been tried before, right? Synthesis, as you described, with Saren uh, letting Sovereign put more electronics in him to become and uh, to become more powerful in his mind, but basically so Sovereign can control them, and the, the Leviathans who created the Reapers trying to control them and realizing, oh shit, we can't. Whatever control they had on them, they had them on them for a little while, but eventually they lost that control and had to go in hiding for their own self-preservation, right? It's not until they meet Shepard that they decide okay, no, we will finally join the fight and help. Um, I really wish after they added that DLC that they would add like a, a Leviathan floating through space to the final <laughs> battle, but that would be more badass. But those are your two examples of those, ending, those tried paths being tried and failing. And as you said what was really interesting with what you said with how nobody's really making decisions but Shepard is kind of right, right? Because if you talk to Garrus, Garrus originally has the point of view of uh, fuck doing things by the book I'm just going to be a vigilante right? But you can change his way of thinking on that like no, no, there's always ways to do this the right way if you go full Paragon and you can get him to not be as ruthless as he originally wants to be Um, otherwise he's just he'll end up just becoming being ruthless right totally uh, um the same thing with like how rex is kind of given a puppet oh no we're just mercenaries this and that and i can't change anything to our he goes back home becomes the leader of his planet right and, and of his species that's all because of the influence that shepherd had uh and people seeing how he's choosing to do things the hard way because it's the right way to do it in, in your character's view and i think with that is that with those dreams, it's clearly the Reapers are trying to guide Shepard to a decision because one of the uh, first sequences he sees is when you find the kid and you catch him, you watch the kid start burning on fire and Shepard's shocked by it. But the key point for me in, in those dreams is the very last one where he's running up to the kid where before we saw the kid was on fire and he was shocked, which was originally the Reaper saying, hey, it's hopeless. You can't do anything. Don't even try. To where it then switched to both Shepard and the kid burning to death and Shepard being fine with that. Like he wasn't screaming in pain. He was just, yeah, I'm going to die doing this. And that's where the pivotal point comes where Shepard decides self-preservation isn't an option. He he makes that selfless decision that I'm going to go through with this even if it kills me because that's what needs to be done. He makes the conscious decision to be selfless, which you can say like a lot of games will have heroes do that, but you got to understand it's like this on such a grand scale because how this goes across three different games and the storyline that's being unfolded before you. <laughs> this is like him sitting there saying, I'm going to stop breathing and just die because I, that's what I need to do to, to save the world and does it. None of us here can sit here and just hold our breath till we passed out and died. Our bodies wouldn't let us. He got to a point where he literally was like, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. And follows through with it. Uh, At least I feel like you follow through with it as long as you go with the red ending. Because they leave a hint like, well, you might die because you have synthetic parts inside you. But we don't really know. Um, I feel like, no, that's the right way to go. Because, as you said, the other two paths were tried. They tried indoctrination. It failed because Shepard chose chose to be selfless and chose that if I die, I'm going to die. You choose destroy. You blow everything up. Uh, you yeah you're gonna lose the Geth, you're gonna lose Edie I feel like those things can be rebuilt and remade later on anyway um, and then you get the shepherd giving taking a, a breath at the end yeah that, oh no look he survived and I think like that's the true path of the story was is the commitment to our decisions of how we're go- of how we'll proceed and really going all the way to be truly selflessness because I don't think I know anybody in this world who is Absolutely that selfless who gives up everything to for whatever cause that they believe in, because when it comes down to it, they'll save their own ass. If they have to save their own ass, they're not going to go live on the streets and be completely homeless and give every last time to charity. Because if that happened, why does Bill Gates have a big house? Yeah. (laughs) You know, why do millionaires have mansions and shit like that? They're not selfless, no matter how much money they give away to charity. Uh, because they don't live in, you know, a two-bedroom apartment like like most people do.
0: And I think um, part of that kind of goes back to the fact that, like, I I mean, people do kind of act. I've seen people act completely selfless, but then they have nothing to to, to lose, right? Whereas Shepard, he has something to lose. So for him to give it up, that's a huge price to give. Um, and... Regarding the indoctrination theory, one thing, and I'm not sure what you feel about this, but I actually think that up until you meet the catalyst, you were pivoting between the dreams where you're being tested for indoctrination and then reality, which is when you're awake and just doing a mission. I actually do think when you meet the catalyst and you're talking to the catalyst, I actually think that's the first time, just, just me saying this, I actually don't think the catalyst is even there. I think it's all in your head. And I think the only reason why – oh, the only reason I even believe this is – I don't know if you recall this, but remember when you're talking to the Catalyst and the Catalyst speaks, you are hearing, granted, the male shepherd voice speaking in unison with the Catalyst.
1: Yeah, that is true. You do hear um, the voice actors on top of – or like underneath the kid's voice as I talk to you. And I can see that being part of it because um, the only evidence that suggests that the kid's there is – a one plant description of mass effect one where it's, Hey, this group of people, these group of aliens or whatnot came there. They saw, they f- tell a story of this golden child or child of light that will be there at the end of the world or end of the universe. Like that's what this sect of religion believes, which is a reference supposed to be a reference to this child at the end of three. Right. But that's the only one there is to it. It's highly missable. Um, and it can be kind of a stretch. It does make sense that, Hey, that kid's not really there. Shepard is on the catalyst. He has to make a choice of what to do. And this, that, this is what's happening in his head. Is it influenced from the Reapers? Yes, because the the Catalyst, which is the Citadel, technically is a Reaper of Reaper design, right? So you could say, Hey, that's how it's communicating this to him. And what you're seeing is how he's visualizing it, right? Because we don't visualize conversations just in our head to nobody, right? Because we feel like we're crazy. So he's visualizing, he's <laughs> talking, yeah. talking to this. And as I said, I feel like he took the, the image of the child because that's what every species would feel like they need to protect and not destroy. And that's why I feel like, oh, see, the Reapers are just like everyone else. They have a sense of self-preservation. They know the end is coming. So they're pulling out all the stops to try and prevent it from happening. And getting you to join their side, which is either the controller or the synthesis uh, ending.
0: Well, with the child, what I think is also worth worth noting is you've met combat AIs. It specifically states it's an AI construct. It's just not the traditional one you've seen throughout the game, right? But AI constructs throughout the game can hurt you. Here it is, and you're like on the precipice of making a big decision. Why wouldn't it choose to stop you? You know, I mean, granted, you do have that the the weird ending where you shoot it and it goes so be it, and then if you know, that's probably the only time it does anything. But I think it's interesting that, and I don't even think that was part of the original endings, mind you. But I do think no, the so be it thing was something added. Yeah, so it's it's more of like a comedic touch, I would say, as an ending, not a a tangible story ending. Like, but if it, you know, think about it this way sovereign tried to fight to keep itself alive every other reaper has tried to fight to keep itself alive um every artifact you could even say to some degree it uses indoctrination as a way to keep itself alive so why wouldn't the catalyst stop it and i really think it's because the catalyst was in his head
1: well i can tell you one reason why though it would be is that uh as a catalyst or as a reaper it knows hey we can't fight we can't fight Shepard, we were fighting him the whole time. He he beats <laughs> shit up, right? So, what's the best way to stop your enemy if you know you cannot physically do it, right? You have to convince them to make a choice that would not hurt you. Yeah. As my phone goes off, so I'll have to edit <laughs> that out because <laughs> somebody's at my door, probably with pizza. All right, but like basically, in order to stop your enemy from hurting you and you know, you can't physically overtake them and physically stop them. You need to convince them not to do it. And one begging for your life. That's not usually, that doesn't usually work, right? Uh, Threatening them doesn't usually work, but giving somebody three choices saying, Hey, I, you can take all my power and have it for yourself or Hey, we can live in harmony and there won't be any more disease or overpopulation or anything else. And we'll all be all one good, big happy family, or yeah, there's you can kill me, yeah, but 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 you know you don't need to kill me. You could li- we could live to happily ever after, or you can have all the power you want, right? And that's why it's like obviously it's like I can see why people pick the other endings, but no, destroy them. That's what you're trying to do because this is trying to convince me not to do that. Um, I'd be more swayed to do the other choices if there wasn't a whole spiel about them. (laughs) It was like, I'd be like, okay, I can see us all living happily ever after together. Right. But it's like, I'm talking to the reapers. I'm talking to my enemy and it's telling me what I have to choose. I'm like, you're clearly trying to not for me not to choose that one. (laughs) I'm going to choose that one.
0: (laughs) You know, I, I think I just chose it because I don't like being told what to do you know, exactly. It's in this authority figure this whole time telling you, you like, you're a lesser being blah, blah, blah. Right. Every time the reapers show up and then you're just like, yeah, fuck that. I'm just going to shoot it. And then, you know, if you do things right, you have the red ending and, and you wake up. Um, you you kind of have to have breath at the moment at the end, um, which I think is interesting um, that that's kind of all they give you. It's a part of me even wonders if they kind of ripped that from vanilla sky, you know,
1: because that's kind of a possibility how they... but when i play th- play i thought i've thought more of um halo reach a sequence in that where um george dies because right after he dies is when the covenant fleet file, uh, all shows up to reach and what the commander says is hey he died thinking he just saved the pl- saved the planet we should all be so lucky <laughs> so when when shepherd when you think oh shepherd died and has a, and then has a breath it's like oh I made the choice that I'm fine with dying because I'm going to be di- dead uh, saving the dying saving the universe and then it's like oh cool I'm, there's a chance I might have survived I'm happy to live the rest of my lives in a wheelchair if I have to I've done my work, discharge me retire me, someone else's turn to save the universe <laughs> I think after you do a feat like that it's like I don't need to work anymore people
0: <laughs> So you're saying he's basically, Shepard's basically Frodo, He he destroyed the ring peace out <laughs> if
1: I was if I my shepherd yes I'd be like all right I don't need any more promotions you just need to give me enough stuff to have a house wherever I want leave me the fuck alone you calling somebody else to save the universe I did my duty
0: yeah and it's when I look at you know the whole Mass Effect series as a as, as an actual like set series from one to three that's it this is a story of shepherd I do think indoctrination theory makes sense with, with the version we've discussed, right? Because, like you said, you've heard it as the third one being completely fictitious, fictitious, right? I've read some that say, like, the moment he dies, that's the beginning of indoctrination. Everything in 2 and 3 is different, and that's why you have to redesign your character and this and that. And None of that makes sense. What you said, I thought, that that was only probably the puzzle I was missing, was um arrival when they have that artifact reaper artifact it explodes he's out for a moment there's a there's a time where he can begin to be indoctrinated and then he starts having these dreams which don't exist and then the recognized shadow recognize saying the story of the shadows seeing those in dreams and then the child being the catalyst and having dreams carry over to reality why would it you know There had to have been some wiring between them, even if it was, you know, not an actual physical wire, some wireless transmission that went from him and the Reapers. To me, it just makes sense that the story of Mass Effect is about being good, is about being selfless, kind of like, you know, samurai, right? Death before dishonor. Um, That's that's kind of why I think this whole topic is worthwhile for Mass Effect fans, because it makes sense. And even to some degree, it also makes the story better. At least in my
1: opinion. Yeah. And I think th- I think the biggest thing is like we said at the beginning, Bioware never said no you're wrong or no that's not or yes this is right. And I think that's one reason why is I don't think anybody's ever come up with this kind con- this concept of the indoctrination theory. It's always been, hey, this is all fictitious or whatnot as we said. Um I think this idea is more along the lines of what they were planning on doing and why and it's also the reason why nobody's come up with it, so nobody's been that's why they've never said, Hey, this is absolutely hundred percent correct. Or, hey, this is absolutely 100% wrong. They're like, oh, cool, they picked up on indoctrination. Not, they didn't quash anybody's theories on it because it's fun to see where the community goes with it. And I think this makes the most sense for why there's dream sequences in the third game when they're never anything else. Uh, what they mean uh, outside more is just a cinematic element. Because when you look at the third game, it's the second third game are definitely more cinematic. The third one is probably more so than anything else. Um, but if you're going to Think of this as all right. This is really happening. This makes sense of why those things happen. Versus, well, it's an act breaker. So, like you know, you're telling a story. Act have a break in the act. This is how we know act two starting. Or this is how we're gonna make the make the player feel like they feel grief for this one kid. Where it's like, dude, people been dying all around me for two and a half games. When kid dying should not be affecting Shepard this way, right? Yeah. But it makes sense now that if it's indoctrination, so they're trying to pull at his at his heartstrings are on something
0: yeah and so and one thing i'll just tack on because this is really the last thing i really have to say about indoctrination theory and mass effect as a whole is i really think when games really hit their stride there's something they give you that you walk away with and for example with skyrim I kind of learned with Skyrim, I was like, wow, so if I actually just like slowly build up experience in life, I can kind of get better at things. If I make better decisions with my assets and my money, I can have more things that I actually care about and get rid of all the crap I don't need and and kind of grow, build myself up at the same time. With Mass Effect, choice is always like a pinnacle aspect of the entire series. You have a choice to do this, you have a choice to do that, and you go good and you go bad, and those are kind of that will influence how others perceive you but then when you get to the end generally speaking it's really about you exercising your choice and it's it's a good like almost like an aristotle plato type of story of how you have a choice despite the fact that you seem like you don't have a choice so it's best for you to exercise it because that's how you're gonna live the best life live the life that you want to live not the life that the reapers tell you want to live not with the specters you know because remember you're the first human specter nobody thinks you can cut it you know what i mean um everyone's like looking at sarah and like the prodigal son and you walk in like this new young blood you have like probably not the shortest lifespan because obviously morden has a much shorter lifespan than us um you know there's a lot there that i think you can walk away with if you look at the game in this method and i i think it's for
1: me the best way to look at it totally agree i think that this is one of the reasons why mass effect got a legendary edition this mass effect is a remarkable story very in-depth it hits everything as you said people walk away with something, and this was a big thing that they always pushed out. In retrospect now, people look back at this game and say, hey, there's not much choices. It's just blue or red, Paragon or game. but you take a deeper think about it and what you're supposed to take away from it. It's about your choices and the choices we make in life and how that shapes who we are and affects the people around us, much as it does in that game. That's why this is such a great franchise. This is why I love this game so much and why I play it over and over and over again <laughs> uh, all the time um and while this why this game much like how halo combat Evolve is sitting in a museum i can see this one sitting in a museum one day as hey this was a very big pinnacle piece of art that was created for this medium um almost like one day this will be a this will be like a picasso in a museum <laughs> showing hey this art this is the medium of video games here's one of the most artful pieces of it of it and here's something that people that you'll take away from it when everybody plays it so those are our thoughts Feel free. Tell us what you think. Are we right? Are we wrong? Do you believe Mass Effect 3 is complete BS? Do you believe Mass Effect 2 and 3 are complete BS? It never happened? And it was all in Shepard's head? Um, or do you think no, there was no indoctrination and just, everything just plays out exactly as it was? Um, you can find us on forthrightgaming.com uh, You will have comments with the podcast there. You Feel free to let us know what's going on there as well as in Podbean, uh, Apple Podcasts and all that. Hit us up. Uh, let us know what you think and we're happy to talk even more about uh, other games. If you, if you want us to talk more about how about Skyrim and how that has an impact on people, uh, let us know. We'll maybe continue a podcast series kind of on the deeper meanings of some of the biggest games. Uh, so thank you for listening, and we will catch you next time. Cheers, everybody. Cheers.